Hello and welcome to Ask the Experts, a podcast from Pennington Choices, providing property surveying, consultancy and project management services to organisations nationwide. Welcome to the monthly Pennington Choices podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Davis, and alongside our more in-depth podcast specials, this series will capture key news, updates and changes related to building safety and asset management across social housing. We're surrounded by the very best people and technical experts and work with the very best organisations out there, so we wanted to share the wealth. What's changing? What do we need to keep our eyes out for? What do people think and where is the best practice? And we're keeping it brief so you can listen on your way to the office or on your daily dog walk. I'm joined today by Siobhan McCoy, who's our head of consultancy and one of our consultancy team, Caitlin Stubbs. Hi, both. Hi. Hello. So what have we got today? We're going to talk a bit about sector risk profile, regulatory judgments. We're going to talk about Michael Gove being uh, reappointed as Secretary of State. Um, and then a few other things around the annual data return and professional competence. Does that sound about right? Great stuff. So shall we kick off with the sector risk profile? I'll uh, I'll swing into this one, I think. So Excellent. yeah, so you may have seen our blog on the sector risk profile that I wrote about a week and a half ago now. So we thought it'd be good to just touch in um, on a couple of the key areas that were highlighted as part of the sector risk profile report. So obviously we're all aware of the cost of living crisis, hike in energy um, and all the risks associated um, with, with tenants particularly struggling to afford certain services. We've been looking um, sort of more widely at, aside from the economic uncertainty, but how registered providers are struggling to um, provide and develop new supply for housing um, and the risks associated with costs, labour shortage and supply chain um, and how that's having an impact in the sector generally. A lot of um, RPs use that sort of development element of um, businesses um, to try and increase sort of their profitability. Stock decency and safety has come up again, which I think we knew. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I'm constantly seeing adverts and things about if your uh, homes are in poor condition, then you must get in touch and sue us. And I think, unfortunately, that seems to be increasing. Yeah. So um, it's really important that RPs are aware of the need to maintain decency in their stock, but also um, to be a bit more forward thinking about the Building Safety Act and the sort of implications that are going to be affecting them alongside that. We've then also been looking at service delivery and accountability. So we're all aware about the new proactive regulation from the regulator of social um, housing. And I think a key message in the sector risk profile was that RPs need to be aware that you can't wait to sort of get involved with proactive regulation. You need, you need to sort of be thinking about it now rather than waiting for April 2023. Um, and another thing that I noticed was a, a small um, mention was to an increased risk of cyber security. Um, I know that we sort of daily get emails, I know I do on my personal account that seem to be scans. So it was mm. interesting that this was also picked up. So yeah, just a couple of, of points there. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think we've seen some really common themes over the last few years um, around safety in particular and um, decency, absolutely. But really interesting now that cyber security is, is there. We see the risk of that, as you say, every single day, don't we? And there's been some yeah. reasonably high profile breaches, I think, over the past 12 months. So um, it's not a surprise that that's there. Development, though, is, is an interesting one, isn't it? And the um, 
the cost of living crisis and actually yeah. what that means for RPs. And I think for the first time, seeing RPs at real risk uh, when it comes to income streams, actually, and being seen as much more of a risk potentially to lenders, um, yeah. which puts development targets at real risk. Anything else we want to say on that, Siobhan, particularly, or anything that RPs can be doing around their assets development in particular? Well, I think just generally, you know, it's 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 certainly a time of increased risks for organisations. And if we think back to, you know, those of us that have been around in the social housing sector for a while, um, you know, it, it only seems like five minutes ago when we had the rent reductions um, yeah. back in 2015, mm -hmm. they started, it seems like yesterday. Um, but, you know, that meant that organisations had to take huge amounts of um, of funding out of their business plans and find ways to do that. There was an awful lot of, you know, looking at how they did things, um, stripping out what they did, um, really challenging themselves around it um, and looking at how they could protect things like investment in properties, making sure they could still, um, you know, develop new homes as well, because those are still desperately needed. Yeah. Um, and then we obviously had COVID. Um, they worked really hard to make sure that they kept their income streams protected, um, but also supported residents. And now this just comes along as well, you know, so... Um, I know lots of organisations are doing all the modelling around, um, you know, what what um, the, the various options that the government yeah. have consulted on mm -hmm. um, around reducing rental income. Um, but it's just going to be really tough um, yeah. and organisations will be looking again. I suppose from our perspective, what we would say is, you know, don't forget about doing the basics and doing them well. Uh, yeah. The temptation is that once you've invested in your services, um, you know, lots of organisations will probably be looking at compliance, which is, you know, an area we see a lot. We do a lot mm -hmm. of work in that area um, and they will be looking to say well actually it works okay now uh, we've invested mm -hmm. a lot we've got it working the way that it needs to um, now we can afford to start to take some resources out um, however you've only got to look at some of what you see in the you know the regulator of social housing's judgments the regulatory judgments um, the messages that are coming out in as Caitlin said you know the, um, the sector risk profile and so on um, but just generally those organizations that take their eye off the ball inevitably will find themselves on stuck um, so it's really important to make sure that they keep um, you know keep focused on keeping residents safe in the way that um, you know they're obliged to um, to meet their legal duties. Sure. No that's really good and I think that brings us nicely on to the the next point that we wanted to talk about um, which is regulatory judgments um, that we've seen over the past I guess 12 months but um, certainly more recently um, and it, I suppose the linked point for me is where we've seen local authorities in particular with issues, often they can be tracked back to cuts, you know, through austerity, through cost reduction, through efficiencies, making teams smaller. Um, you know, certainly my personal experience has been that's played a part some way in the in yeah. the past. Decisions have been made that means that, you know, these really vital services uh, are no longer there. So, yeah. Um, kind of linked but not so I'll bring us on to the, the points you make, wanted to make about regulatory judgments but I guess for me it it really is all linked isn't it and we can't take our eye off the ball on any one of these things. Absolutely you know and the whole sort of issue of keeping residents safe it's just not going anywhere no. um, we've got the Building Safety Act which is um, you know the the 
big sections of it coming into force next year. Um, the whole message is around keeping residents safe. We've got the Social Housing Regulation Bill um, in Parliament at the minute, um, and we know what's coming with that. You know, the, the explicit requirement for social landlords to, to identify a named person that will be responsible for keeping residents safe while in complying with all health and safety duties. Um, you know, so there are going to be the, the, the scrutiny around this area just isn't going to go away at all. Um, but what we're seeing is the regulator continuing to engage with landlords, um, providers who are having to self-refer. And in some cases where, you know, it's come to light as a result of things like IDAs or because of other work they've been doing. Um, but we've, you know, we've seen um, over, you know, recent months, and it's been going on for a while, increasing numbers of local authorities in particular. Um, and we're certainly doing a lot more work with local authorities um, who, you know, for one reason or another, have found themselves having to have a real hard look at how they um, how they are managing safety um, and keeping residents safe, and inevitably find that they've got some areas where they need to strengthen. Um, unfortunately, for a number of organisations, they've realised that late in the day, um, and as a result, have had to self-refer to the regulator. Um, I think what we're seeing is um, just you know local authorities starting to become more aware. Um, of their obligations in this area. Um, I, in a past life, used to work for local authorities, um, so have experience from that side of the challenges that have come, come with working for a local authority. Um, you know, if you think about a housing association, um, an RSL, the only thing it does, or the main thing that it does, is managing homes and, and, mm. and tenants um, and residents. Um, if you're a local authority, you've got a huge um, yeah. portfolio of activities that you need to do, statutory obligations, Mm -hmm. that you need to fulfill um, and managing your social homes is just one um, you know one mm -hmm. relatively small area out of all of those yet it's still hugely important um, and I think quite often you know we've come through what 10 years of austerity local mm -hmm. government austerity started in 2010 um, looks like we're now headed for another round of it as well um, mm -hmm. we'll wait to see what the um, you know the um, budget statement on the 17th of November says um, but what we've seen is local authorities um, with you know much reduced um, budgets to be able to deliver what they need to all those statutory services and housing just hasn't had um, you know the level of scrutiny and oversight that it really needs um, and what we're seeing is organizations that have you know for one reason or another have had to start to look at how they're managing compliance and managing their homes um, and have found gaps um, unfortunately in those circumstances by the time they then identify them, um, large numbers of residents potentially at risk. Um, there were a couple of local authorities that had judgments um, late October. Um, you know, don't we don't want to name them, um, but the information is there on the the regulator's website. Um, but what we're also seeing is um, messages around those organisations, those local authorities that um, are in joint venture partnerships with um, other organisations, other partners. Um, where they've basically outsourced services, um, you know, big, big areas of services um, to joint venture partners or to companies that they've set up, subsidiaries, um, whatever else, um, because they're trying to do things differently, trying to, um, you know, create efficiencies. And mm -hmm. as part of outsourcing, outsourcing those services, they tend to take the view that, well, we're partners in this, um, so we don't need to client it. We can have trust in our partners. That's why we're setting them up. Mm -hmm. um, and we see that um, either how those arrangements were set up at the first um, 
meant that there wasn't the level of scrutiny to make sure that the organisations were doing what was required of them. Um, and then that's just continued or where they may have been set up to do a particular thing. They've done that and then they've inevitably taken on more services mm -hmm. again without the level of scrutiny that was required. And the local authority has sort of said, right, OK, they're off doing that. We can now focus on all these other things we've yeah. got to do mm -hmm. um, and just haven't had oversight um, to make sure that, um, you know, all the checks to keep residents safe were being done and so on. Um, and eventually, you know, it comes to light um, quite often as a result of something significant happening. Um, and then that's when, you know, when you start to peel back the layers about what's going on, um, inevitably a whole host of things get uncovered. Um, mm. So I suppose our message would be to local authorities in particular, um, make sure you don't forget about keeping residents safe. Make sure you don't forget about all your, your obligations around managing your homes. Don't assume that just because you've got a partner um, that, you know, that you may partly own or you may be in a legal arrangement with of a particular nature. Just because of that, don't forget that that legal obligation ultimately sits with you and you do need to resource how you manage that um, organisation, because ultimately you should take you need to take the view that they are a contractor that, um, you know, there's someone that you engage to deliver a service for you. Um, and the usual rules of contract management apply. Um, you mm -hmm. know, it needs to be specified in terms of the service that you want to buy from them. Um, you need to have quite clear service level agreements, service standard specifications, um, and you need to client it on that basis. And you need to get information back on a continual basis to tell you and to evidence and to provide assurance to yourself that your residents are safe and the checks are being done. So for anyone out there listening who may well be from a local authority, um, what what do they need to think about? What do they need to do? Because clearly the last thing anybody wants is for something to happen to bring this to light. Um, and I imagine anyone out there would say, well, we know we've got to do all this, but we've got to do everything else as well. Yeah. Um, we can't do everything. And actually, if we're going to have to reduce costs, it's going to be even more difficult. So what are some of the really simple things that they need to keep their eye on or make sure they've got the basics in place? Those are really good question for them to ask themselves is, um, you know, get, issues happen all day, every day. You know, we tend to think of the big fires, for example, you know, Grenfell, um, mm -hmm. major fires that happen in buildings as being the things that are the biggest risk, um, you know, and there has to be a whole chain of events in order for those to happen. That's not necessarily the case, but things happen every day. You've only got to Google things like or keep your eye on inside housing for all the reports. Mm -hmm. Gas explosions happen with alarming regularity yeah. um, in social homes. Um, electrical fires happen very, very regularly as well. You've only got to look at some of the stats that the government put in the consultation that they issued during the summer on electrical safety. Um, think about for your own assets, um, if there were to be a gas explosion or a major incident in one of your properties tonight, um, if you know, and you, you wake up in the morning to the news that this has happened, um, whether or not somebody's lost their life, would you be confident that you can put your hand on the record um, that says that that property had all of its checks within, you know, gas safety check within the last year, electrical inspection check within the last five years? Would you be confident that no matter where that property was, you would be able to put your hand on that record and that you wouldn't have a heart dropping moment where you'd say, mm -hmm. I hope this is in date. Um, yeah. So that's ultimately the question you should ask yourself. Mm -hmm. If you've got any any you know doubt about that, you need to start to go and ask some questions. What mm -hmm. data do you hold? Have you got information, first of all, on how many properties you own? Um, and our experience of working with local authorities is that their asset data quite often um, can present a challenge to them. 
Mm -hmm. in terms first of all of quantifying the actual number of assets they've got but then particularly thinking about you know buildings blocks and so on how they're categorized and then from that once you know how many you've got are you sure can you evidence that all of those are receiving the checks that they need to are you getting your information and data back in from all of your contractors or your partners that are delivering that have you got somebody internally that does the checks on those to make sure that your contractor has done all that they were supposed to do and also that you're picking up if there's any follow-on actions because it's not just about doing the check it's then about once there's an issue identified you, you know you're just as culpable then to make sure that 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 is addressed are you mm -hmm. satisfied that you're doing the checks and putting the actions in place to make sure that those issues are addressed? And ultimately, how do you know that that's happening? So if you're someone at a senior level, what assurance information do you get? Um, what reporting information do you get on a monthly basis? Um, and then what can you, if, for example, you had to drill down into that, um, you know, if you needed some information and to assure yourself, are you able to get that? And mm -hmm. if the answer to any of those things is no, um, then, you know, start to think about what, how you're doing things and whether it needs to be amended and done in a yeah. different way. Or even if the answer is, I'm not sure, you know. Absolutely, that, that, yeah. I think it's, I mean, I love that. I think that's really practical, isn't it? And often this can be quite, certainly from our experience, quite big and scary, can't it? And you mm. absolutely, as we said before, don't want something to happen um, to, to shine a light on this. Just ask the really simple questions, keep it as practical yeah. as possible. Um, and I suppose wherever you sit in that chain, whether you're the frontline um, housing officer, data analyst, ex up to exec director, whoever, um, understand what you need to understand your role in that chain you know what and if there are any concerns at all at any level whatever role then know how to escalate them and I suppose yeah. that's another really key thing for me it's about culture isn't it and transparency and no blame and the fact that things go wrong every single day we never get get it right we never get it perfect it's about learning yeah. isn't it so particularly I think at that exec and senior level making sure that you are promoting that really clear, transparent, open culture that people feel they can raise the hand if there's something they're not quite sure about. And hopefully you investigate it and, and rectify it or yeah. everything's fine. But, you know, it's being curious, isn't it? And asking those questions and being able to. Absolutely. And I would say as well, you know, if, if for organisations that, you know, if there are people listening who are, you know, at not necessarily at managerial level or not in a position where they feel that they have the ability to really influence how their, their you know, their senior people view this. Organisations are required to have whistleblowing policies in place. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of the organised or not necessarily a lot, but a number of the organisations that the regulator has, um, you know, has had engagement with. Some of that comes to light on the back of whistleblowing yeah. um, mm -hmm. allegations um, and whistleblowing policies are there to protect people who whistleblow. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they are legally protected. Um, and I think if you, you know, look back at what happened in Grenfell, uh, we've had the public inquiries um, that, that have sat for a long, long time and, and examined evidence about what happened, what went wrong. Lots of people who worked for, um, you know, in and around Grenfell and, and other properties that were owned by those organisations, they knew things went right. Um, you know, they walked past issues. We also work with lots of organisations where, um, you know, when you do things like, um, you know, interview people and um, do information gathering sessions, 
you find out really quickly that people are, you know, they're feeling worried because they know things aren't right, um, but they've lacked the ability to really make that change and to get their, their you know, their voice heard at a senior level. So do listen to people, um, you know, and if you are one of those people who's struggling to get your voice heard, you know, remember that there are things there to protect you. Um, but the important thing is to do the right thing. Um, you know, ask yourself what what happened if I was the last person that had the ability to change this for the better, um, and I failed. Um, so just keep you know keep going. Um, use the tools that are there to protect you and to help you to to flush these issues out if need be. Oh, I like that question. But again, as from a senior perspective, as a senior leader in whatever organisation, make sure you're listening. You know, yeah. open the door, kind of get out there and preempt um it's not a bad thing is it if things yeah. go wrong as long as you pick it up ideally beforehand and, and put it right and you know people generally know don't know that the answer is somewhere as leaders yeah. we don't always have to have the answer somebody out there will have it so um, absolutely yeah and if you think you know back to the changes that are common with the social housing regulation mm. bill if you work at a senior level um you know are you the person that's going to have to put your name to um you know provide an assurance that you your organization complies with all of the legal duties um, around keeping help people safe um, not just tenants residents employees third parties and so on members of the public um are you assured are you satisfied um that you know that that all those things are in place it's a tough job, isn't it? It really is. And as you say, for local authorities, it's not the only job on the list, is it? So, no. oh, gosh. Um, shall we move on then? Mr. Michael Gove, <laughs> reappointed <laughs> as the Secretary yes, the of State for the Department back. of Leveling Up Housing and Communities. That's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> It is, yeah. I mean, I suppose this is just, um, you know, uh, there's been obviously a lot of turmoil um, in government over the last few months. Um, Michael Gove um, was, um, you know, lost his job as um, Secretary of State for um, DLUC. I'm not going to attempt, I'm not going to say all the words, um, I'll just say DLUC. Um, uh, so he lost his job back in, I think it was July, um, but he's back now. Um, Rishi Sunak has reappointed him to his old role. Um, I suppose for me, my take on this, um, you know, one of the, the key things that Michael Gove did was he did seem to get some traction around the whole sort of building safety agenda and in particular trying to unlock some of the issues for leaseholders um, who are stuck in, um, you know, in buildings that have been, you know, unremediated or where they're facing massive bills. Um, he's very, very big on, um, you know, accountability. Um, so organisations making sure that they're accountable to their leaseholders, to their residents and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, without requiring leaseholders to pay for things that they're not responsible for. Um, so that's been quite big. Um, and I suppose, you know, there's been a, a lack of momentum on that over the last couple of months. Um, so hopefully that will start to pick up some um, some traction again. Um, he's also made it clear, you know, he he um, he is very clear about organisations, social landlords, um, about um, the performance generally, maintaining their properties, um, uh, you know, housing conditions generally. Lots about naming and shaming poor performing landlords. Um, so there were a couple of big organisations um, and, you know, big announcements that he made, um, you know, uh, publicly but shortly before he left the first time. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see that sort of thing coming back again. 
Um, and I think just generally as well, the government, you know, there's been lots over the last sort of six, 12 months, really, around trying to align standards across the social rented sector and private rented sector. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've had various pieces of legislation that have looked to bring standards broadly into line. Um, and we're starting to see, you know, talk about, you know, initially it was going to be two separate housing ombudsmen's, one for private rented sector to match what the wills in the, the social rented sector. Somebody at last is saying, why do we need two? Surely we should just have one. Um, so I think we will see more um, around bringing those, uh, you know, aligning um, standards and conditions and regulations and legislation across both sectors. So, yeah, interesting to see what comes over the next few months. Absolutely. And moving on from the government to professional competence and a, a strengthening of professional competence. Yeah. Um, so uh, again, you know, if you've uh, read up on all your social housing um, papers and so on from a while ago, um, part of what was proposed in the social, or sorry, the social housing white paper, um, which is almost two years old now, I think, um, was around uh, making sure that um, people who work for local, or sorry, for social housing providers um, have the right skills to be able to do the job that's being asked of them, um, you know, to be technically competent, um, but also have the skills around engaging with residents and making sure that they treat residents with respect as well. Um, there has been um, an amendment tabled to the Social Housing Regulation Bill that is going to strengthen that area. Um, and I think at the minute, the intention is that the regulator of social housing will have to draw up a frame work um, for what they want to see in that area. So that's just to say one to watch, um, because again, that's likely to have some implications for social landlords and thinking about, you know, how they make sure people have the skills to be able to do the jobs that they're being asked to do. And it will be much more broad ranging than just keeping people safe. It will be across across a bigger spectrum. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting, actually, isn't it? So I'd not necessarily picked up on that myself that it's, you know, it is really broad that isn't it and it what, is yeah and it's not mean? just about mm -hmm. senior people within the organization no. or specific duty holders um it will be a much more general approach uh, much more broad in nature do we have any idea of time scales or uh, well, what I suppose it depends like. on the time scale for the social housing regulation bill. Um, again, the government probably has quite a lot that it needs to get through in this parliamentary sitting, um, and it has said that it's still committed to that um, piece of legislation going through. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, although I, I imagine that, you know, knowing the regulator as we do, they will probably be working on that in the background. They won't Absolutely. necessarily wait for the bill as they've done with the tenant satisfaction yeah. measures. You know, they've got on and and produced those, consulted on them, and now are introduced them in advance of the the bill um work being through parliament so yeah so one to watch over the coming months definitely and finally the annual data return yes so um Insight, well, um, the regulator again um, has um, the sector's annual data returns um, were, were um, have been submitted um, and Inside Housing did a really useful piece on this. Um, it was either last week or the week before, um, just talking about five key takeaways from that. I suppose being property people, um, we tend to hone in on those that are particularly related mm -hmm. um, around um, property. Um, and one of the key ones for me was around stock condition, um, you know, so there was the message in there that generally um you know decency has has improved levels of decency have improved um although there were a couple of factors which may have meant that it was previously being reported higher than um than um than the under the underlying um performance position um i suppose the question for me that it poses is just okay um 
you know, if you were to be scrutinised, um, you know, as part of an in-depth assessment or as part of the new regulatory regime in future, um, you know, what evidence have you got to say that you those homes, are the, you know, if you're reporting 100 percent decency, for example, that all your, your properties are actually decent? Yeah. Um, you know, do you have the evidence there? Do you have a data pack that sits behind it? Um, and again, our sort of experience of working with organisations and asking the question um, sometimes find that we sometimes find that they struggle to find the underlying data which can evidence that all their homes are decent um, you know if they just do an extract from their stock condition database wherever that's held what would that show them um, and given that the statistical data return is going to start to ask some more searching questions around compliance with the decent home standard um, from next year now's the time for organizations to again ask themselves some of those tough questions and challenge themselves about whether they can evidence it very good. So not much there then. In not just the much. Month. No, yeah. no. Yeah, we're in this quiet period coming up to Christmas. So, you know, when, when people yeah. experiment it, they can just start Absolutely. to go digging in these areas. Yeah. yeah. Quite scary. Um, fantastic. I mean, that was really helpful. We've just been over half an hour, which I think is a decent amount to get through in that time. Um, so we'll end it there unless we've got anything else. No, no that's enough for one month. Yeah. yeah. Um, thanks for listening, as always. We've got some additional content on our website. So we've got a, a recent webinar on tenant satisfaction measures where we were joined by the regulator of social housing. So that's well worth a watch if you haven't already. And then we've also got another of subject specific podcasts on Legionella and fire safety as well, which are well worth a listen to um, if you've got a spare sort of half an hour while, as I said earlier, you're walking the dog or on your way to work. Um, hope you found it useful. As always, any feedback gratefully received. And um, if we don't speak to you before, we'll see you next month. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to speak to one of our in-house experts, please get in touch either via our website or across our social media pages. Pennington Choices, our expertise, your solution.